Talking Computational Photography with Jeff Carlson. This is Mac Voices. Mac Voices is supported by Collide. Get important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for your Mac right inside Slack. Try all of Collide's features on an unlimited number of devices free for 14 days, no credit card required, at collide.com slash macvoices. Welcome to Mac Voices. This is the talk of the Apple community, and I'm Chuck Joyner. Folks, today we're going to do something that's a little different, maybe not a lot different, um, and is not necessarily Apple-specific. And that is uh, talking about computational photography with Jeff Carlson. Jeff, welcome. It's great to have you back. Oh, it's always good to be back. Thank you. Well, thank you for thank you for doing this. Um, this conversation was inspired by the fact that you are now penning a, or I guess, is penning even a, a, a verb anymore? Um, and sure. <laughs> okay, yeah, it works. Um, <laughs> you are authoring. There's the better phrase. You are authoring a new column uh, on computational photography. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I started at, at just before the beginning of the year. I started writing a column for Popular Photography Magazine, uh, which, uh, you know, as magazines ha have done in recent years, uh, almost completely died. And then uh, new owners came in and have rejuvenated it. And so now uh, it's uh, it, it's no it's no longer a paper magazine. Uh, I think those days are probably over. Um, but uh, if you go to popphoto.com, it's it's got a whole bunch of of new content, and part of that is I pitched the editor on doing a column just about computational photography and AI and machine language when it comes to uh, photography, because I think that these technologies are changing photography in a really substantial way, like not just your iPhone pictures are better or you can do some editing, uh, you know, a little bit easier, but in that sense that, that I think what we're seeing now is a shift that's going to be as significant as going from film to digital, or even maybe from going from black and white to color film. And I know that sounds hyperbolic, but it's really changing the technologies, it's changing the software, it's changing how we take pictures. And it, it's just a fascinating area that uh, I've been interested in for a while, and now I get to write about, which is even more interesting because then I get to learn new stuff. And so I'm now writing a column, I should say the name of the column, it's called The Smarter Image at popphoto, P-O-P-P-H-O-T-O.com. Um, comes out every two weeks and it's it's been a blast because there's there's just so much to talk about so first of all clever name i i like it i like it <laughs> thank you i i was very surprised when when uh that nobody else had used it so snap that up real quick <laughs> so this the subject of computational photography comes up usually here on mac voices in regard to our iphones and one of the things that really brought brought this home to me, I recently uh, worked on a project with photos from uh, from ten years ago, an, an event that we did at the office that you, I've used my iPhone uh, every year, you know, to take the photos with. And as I put the photos side by side, something you normally wouldn't do, I noticed that the photos just get progressively better. There's there's 
seems to be well there is better resolution there definitely i think is is definitely better sharpness and i realized that okay the i i didn't and these i don't edit these at all i mean they come out of the fo- the phone and they go they they get published and that's it there's there's no tweaking to them so my iphone is taking significantly better photos during that 10 year uh run and probably in the last 5 years was the biggest the biggest change as as really the improvement ramped up from there. So computational photography, at least for the iPhone, in my opinion, is a real thing. And it seems to be, I think, a real thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and let's not discount that you're probably a better photographer than you were there. So we're not going to put all of that on the hardware, but I know where you're going because there have been a lot of improvements. Now, what's interesting is relatively... Although the hardware has improved in in some significant ways, it hasn't made giant leaps. And that's sort of why we're talking about computational photography. Because when you're looking at your iPhone, we're still talking about very small sensors, very small lenses. And with photography, the whole thing is capturing light. And that's why sometimes you'll have like a regular camera with a really big, long lens because... It has a number of different, uh, you know, lens elements that help bring in a whole lot of light. Uh, you know, make sure it's not bent, etc. Um, and we just can't do that on an iPhone because, it, by nature, it has to be really small. And also remember, you know, your your iPhone Pro, um, you know, in this case, it, like it has three different lenses on it. Well, those are technically three different cameras they each have their own sensor they have their own lens set up and so everything has to be really small part of the way apple and google and other manufacturers have been able to overcome this this physical limitation is in software and being able to maximize what it can do with the data that comes in so computational photography will often talk about this this shooting aspect of it and it's it generally refers to what the what the the software what the hardware in your phone is doing to the image when it captures it because you know when you lift up your phone and you tap the shutter button in like like the experience of it is pretty much you know like that's it. You take a picture, uh, it records it, and then you can turn your phone over immediately and just see exactly you know what you got. But what's actually happening is far more complex. So when you tap that shutter button, you've got uh, instead of the camera recording just like that one little rectangle of light, it's taking like a dozen different photos in milliseconds and each one of those photos has a different characteristic so it's you know uh, at different exposures so that it can uh, take dark areas and still have information and light areas so that they're not uh, over you know, blown out with you know to complete white because it's so bright um, but it's also taking into account like how much noise is in the the image and correcting for that and it's even doing things like recognizing objects in a scene so that 
your iPhone will know, ah, this looks like I'm taking a picture outdoors and these look like trees. So maybe we should make sure that those have a little bit more green to them, green saturation than say this person, where if we have green saturation on the person, then that's not going to look very good. And it does all this in milliseconds and it blends it all into an image that looks really good overall. And in some cases would be hard to get using a DSLR or a mirrorless camera. So like there's, there's a lot of complexity and that's just on the shooting side. There's also a whole bunch of technology on the editing side that will help you, you know, either do things faster that you couldn't normally do before, or just, you know, do things that, that you couldn't do period. And so it's, it's fascinating in that for a lot of people, you're not going to really notice, but there's a whole lot going on. And, uh, I don't know. I think it's super cool. And, you know, in terms of writing a column about it, there's so much to talk about from shooting to editing photos to even, you know, like, um, I wrote, a column about just processing um, and culling photos. So taking all the shots that you took, say, from an event or a wedding and using software. And the software will look at all those photos and say, this one looks better than this one. Uh, in these pictures, people have their eyes closed, so you probably don't want to use those. This one, you know, someone has turned away from the camera. Like, all that kind of stuff that's enabled by this, 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 this umbrella of computational photography, um, machine learning, all these technologies. Yeah, I'm glad you glad you got that um, because a lot of us don't realize, uh, with the advancements that have been made, that now you the, the software can tell you things like the eyes were open or closed, um, and mm -hmm. you know. It, it has the ability to pick some of those things out. But, if, I mean, in some ways, and maybe this is a stretch, is it fair to say that we've had computational photography of a kind for a long time, given that Photoshop was taking uh, your images and manipulating them, maybe not quite as smartly as it can now, and some of the other software can now, but, you, you know, the, the classic, you know, Playboy centerfold airbrushing, you know, was right, comes right. comes to mind. You know that that was so extreme by today's standards, but you know at the time it was small miracles happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's a really interesting question because, like, I think technically, you know, something like Photoshop, um, like you, you are technically using a computer to manipulate photos, um, but a, a lot of what we're talking about now is is how the software understands what it's seeing. And so, you know, with, with you know, say, retouching, um, a lot of, of different um, methods exist, in, like in Photoshop, that would require you to make different layers, and you have to make masks, and, you know, you want to adjust a person's um, face. You, you know, you want to maybe smooth their skin or, you know, remove some blemishes because you're, you're working on, uh, you know, a, a fashion job, something like that. Um, or even, you know, just to make somebody look a little bit more flattering. Um, and 
traditionally what you'd have to do is go in and do all of that manually because you're 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 just sort of messing with the pixels. You're you're saying okay, like these pixels need to be a, a brighter shade of yellow, and uh, you know th- these there needs to be less contrast here in order to smooth out this section. What computational photography is doing now is the software knows more about the image that you're looking at. There's an image that I like to use when I'm doing, uh, when I'm speaking or uh, giving presentations about this. And uh, it's an image of my wife standing in front of a field of sunflowers. And uh, it's sort of, you know, getting near sunset. And if I were to just show you that picture, you would immediately, like your brain would say, oh, there's uh, a woman in front of some sunflowers and uh, it looks like it's getting towards sunset. The problem is a lot of photo editing software would not see it that way. It looks at this image and it says, well, there's a yellow pixel, there's a brown pixel, there's a blue pixel. And it just sees this as a collection of pixels. And so with uh, computational photography, what we have is the ability for the software to look at the image the way we are looking at it. And so it can look at that same image and say, ah, well, this group of pixels looks the same shape that I know of to be a human. So that, that that's probably a person. And these areas over here are green and leafy. So it must be some sort of a plant. And this is uh, a flower that I recognize as a sunflower. And because that top, say, you know, quarter portion of the, the image is clear and has these colors and it typically shows up at, in, you know, pictures of people, that's probably a sky. And so it now sees that image not just as a collection of pixels, but as different objects. And when it sees those objects and it can understand what those are, then it can take all sorts of different actions on it. So for example, let's say um, in in that case, um, we want the person to be a little bit more illuminated or we want to, uh, you know, smooth their skin a little bit, make them look a little bit more flattering. Then the software can say, all right, I know exactly where that person's face is. And I know that because that's a face, I know that there are eyes and nose and lips and, you know, different characteristics of a face. So instead of trying to, you know, go into Photoshop and build all those layers and, you know, do all the different things that are required to to make someone's skin look smooth, but also look realistic. So smoother and also look realistic. The software can just say, um, okay, I'm going to apply the skin smoothing, which is this effect that I know how to do. And I know exactly where this, where the face is. And so I'm just going to apply that right there. And you as the, as the photographer, you don't have to uh, make any masks or layers or anything like that because the software knows, ah, this is a face and I know how to work with a face. Today's Mac Voices is supported by Collide. Get important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for your Mac right inside Slack. Collide sends employees important, 
timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Clyde is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Been there, done that, and it's frustrating for everyone involved. But instead of frustrating your employees, Collide educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Problems like evil browser extensions that may sell the user's browser history. Visit collide.com slash macvoices to sign up today. That's collide, K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash macvoices. Try all of Collide's features on an unlimited number of devices, free for 14 days, no credit card required. And be sure to enter your email when prompted to receive your free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. That's collide.com slash macvoices. Thanks to Collide for supporting this week's Mac Voices. So what I guess I'm, I'm hearing, and it's encouraging, it's a, it's a good thing, that when I see different software coming out and saying, you know, now with AI, now with, um, well, artificial intelligence, AI, with machine learning, that it really is, they're not just slapping on buzzwords, that they really are adding some, oh, I hesitate to say intelligence, but sophistication <laughs> maybe to, to the software that really does make my life a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's probably more accurate to say that it adds some knowledge uh, that is based on, you know, the the way they make these models are they they feed a whole bunch of images to the computer. And, you know, it starts off where you have people that are saying, all right, uh, you know, this area is a person, this is a tree, this is a dog, this is a sky. And then and then the the learning builds upon that so that as it gets more information, it can then tell, okay, well, this isn't just a tree, this is a fir tree, because it matches these characteristics that I know of that have been defined as a fir tree. And when the, when the software knows about all of that, um, you know, it's, it's not intelligent. I think, you know, uh, actual artificial intelligence researchers are probably, they probably bristle a bit when AI gets thrown around. Um, but it's, I mean, it's a cool little acronym. It's short. It makes you think of science fiction. It makes you think of technology. I can totally get why it's used a lot in marketing, but in general, what it means is there's something where the software or the, you know, the, the hardware in your iPhone is interpreting what it sees and understanding more about that image. I think that's, Maybe that that's a better term. It, it, it's understanding more, and then it can take action on top of that. A classic example of you know how we are all being we're going to be replaced by by, by computers and AI eventually. <laughs> maybe I, I hope not, but I, I mean because you st- yeah. you still especially with things like Luminar, you still retain a lot of the creative control. If you decide you want to blow something out, you can do it, but it's just this yeah. this. This gets you farther down the path to a really good-looking image. Yeah, and you know one of the things that that I I like to bring up because you know so many times we we go to that, um, and in fact I've gotten uh, you know messages from people who are reading the column. Uh, there's one person who just sort of went off, and I I 
I hope that he got it out of his system. <laughs> I didn't respond to him, but like he was so upset that, you know, that, that these technologies were taking over some of the skills that he had employed to make better images. And, you know, his whole thing was like, well, I should just throw away all my images that I've shot over the last 40 years, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Um, you know, like, I'm not saying that AI is going to take your job, um, but what it does is primarily, I want to say fundamentally, what AI can do is get rid of a lot of the, the, the drudgery and save you some time. So, for example, um, you know, you want to, uh, what's a good example? Well, okay, this is sort of a, a, a like a low-level example. But one of the things about taking photos is when you don't have enough light, you increase the ISO, which is the light sensitivity. And as a consequence, you end up with more noise in your image. And it's, it's just been a, a trade-off that we've all had to make. You know, if you want a nice, clean image where something is, you know, dark, right? Uh, you're in a low-light situation. Uh, what you'd have to do is you have to put your camera on a tripod and set a long exposure so that more light gets collected by the camera and it doesn't move because you don't want camera shake or whatever. Now, there are tools that will use AI to get rid of that noise. And uh, specifically, there's uh, one that I wrote about called, uh, it's from the company DxO. It's called Pure Raw 2. And all it does is take your raw file and basically process it before you edit it. But if you have really noisy low-light images, it knows because of the camera that it was shot with and the lens that it was shot with and how digital noise tends to manifest itself in images, it can use AI, sorry, machine learning, <laughs> computational photography. Um, it can use these technologies to remove that noise and do it in such a way that uh, it's not just, you know, arbitrarily smoothing everything. Because the problem with, with a lot of noise reduction tools will be, you know, it gets rid of the noise, but everything gets kind of kind of smeary, right? Well, this, it knows more about what it's looking at. So it knows, all right, this is a really noisy spot, but this is clearly, you know, the, the intersection of, say, the side of a building. And so it knows that maybe that needs to be sharper. And uh, whereas, you know, like a section of the sky can just be more, uh, you know, smoothed because it's, it's just an open sky. And so knowing how to do that means that I can go and shoot at a high ISO in a dark situation. And I know that I'm going to get a noisy raw image, but I can fix that and deal with it so it doesn't look like I shot at a high ISO. And so I end up with a cleaner file that I can then edit. So that's just, you know, one other example of, you know, how... If I had tried to do that same thing without this tool, I could do it, but I would have to make compromises. I would, I would get a softer image. Or maybe I wouldn't even use that image at all because it was too noisy. And so a lot of these things 
are, are, are getting rid of some of the drudge work. Um, the, the, the biggest thing, I think, um, like, for example, if you use Lightroom, Lightroom is great because you can take an entire image and, and make edits to the entire image. You know, you, you increase the, the um, exposure of shadows or you add contrast or whatever. But what it doesn't do is let you accurately target specific areas. You can make, uh, you know, gradients that will, like, you know, you can make a big sort of radial blob uh, and, and, you know, set that area to be a little bit brighter, for example. But in the past, if you wanted to do something more specific, you'd have to send it to Photoshop. And then you're dealing with uh, layers and masks. And if you've ever had to make masks when you are working with uh, editing photos, um, you know, it, sometimes it can be really easy, but you have to make a selection. And if you're doing a mask of a person and if they have hair that, you know, doesn't go in, you know, nice, smooth uh, areas, um, then, you know, it's hard to mask that hair. And, you know, you're looking at, I don't know, you know 10, 30, 60 minutes of work just to get to that point. Well, Lightroom and Lightroom Classic now have a feature, this is also in Photoshop, um, where if you have a picture of a person and that person just needs to be a little bit brighter, you want them to, to, to look like maybe you shot it with a flash and you didn't have a flash, or uh, you know they're, they're standing in shade and you want them to just pop a little bit more from the background, you literally click a button that says Select Subject, and the software knows based on what it knows about photos what the subject is in this case it would be like oh there's a person roughly in the middle of the frame taking up most of the image that must be the subject and it does a really good job so you can click select subject and then just to increase the exposure on that person and it took you you know 30 seconds maybe 60 seconds to do that and so now you have more time to either work on more images or, you know, you're done for the day and you can go have dinner. So it's, it's a lot of those kind of, of getting rid of the grunt work and making things possible that are otherwise difficult where AI is really, really helping and, you know, changing photography. Well, in, your, in your example, though, I mean, it also sounds like it sounds like there are kind of three tiers to this. First of all, for the for the average user, it's just going to make their photos look better, quasi automatically. You know, mm -hmm. um, for for the more professional folks, it eliminates the drudgery of of trying to get photos to a certain level before you start to apply your talents. But the third thing I heard in there is that it also might give you the ability to take a photo that you would ordinarily not have used, either because it was just so bad that it it, mm -hmm. it couldn't be fixed by human hands or that you just absolutely would not have taken the time. And so you know, it, yeah. it, 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 it is adding, it's adding to what you are able to do, what you're able to rescue from maybe a bad shot or two that, and depending on what it is, I mean, if it's a wedding or if it's one of those one time, once in a lifetime events, you know, you, you want it to be the best it can be. Yeah. And it, it actually, like, that's a really good example because, um, you know, the, the picture that I mentioned that has, uh, you know, my wife standing in front of a, a field of sunflowers, um, I had to, to 
pretty drastically underexpose that so that the sky wouldn't just be blown out to white. And so the the original image, like she is is really mostly in shadow. Uh, you can't really tell. I mean, you can tell that it's sunflowers, but they're also really dark. And normally I probably would have just skipped right past that, except that was the shot where I felt that she had the best expression on her face. Like she had this, you know, sort of wry smile that was like, I'm enjoying this, but there's also a little bit of, are we done taking the picture now that I found (laughs) sort of funny, Um, which uh, as photographers, we know that look. Um, But, you know, like sometimes that one shot that has the best version of the person that you're shooting may not have, have come out so well in terms of like like the technical uh, aspects of, of, of the image. And so I was able to, you know, use uh, some, you know, just, just regular processing because it was a raw file. There was a lot of data there. Um, I, I edited this in Luminar. That let me bring up the exposure and, you know, make her a little bit more visible, allowed me to take the, 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 the greens of, the leaves and the stalks of the sunflowers and make them a little bit more green, but also then to be able to do a little bit of, of, you know, facial correction so that uh, her eyes could be a little bit more visible and, you know, lighten her face a little bit more again, without having to do layers and all of that. And so, you know, the, the, there are definitely, and actually um, the, uh, the, the, the pure raw uh, that I was talking about, um, I shot an event a few weeks ago um, where, I, you know, I, I was taking pictures of, uh, you know, speakers and sessions and attendees. And it, it's, a, it's a situation that's really difficult for cameras because, you know, you've been to conferences. They're usually in hotels. They're indoors. It's all, you know... Uh, the, the the rooms are are dark because they you know need to focus on the the speaker, and so just by definition, I'm shooting at a high ISO so that I can get plenty of of, of image data, but the the shots just tend to be noisier, and that that's always been a struggle. Well. I didn't worry about that this time. Even uh, I was shooting at like, I don't know, ISO 3200, maybe even 6400, which tends to make really noisy images. But I knew that the the ones that I picked, you know, I, I, I would go through that day's shots and pick out, you know, 15 or 20 keepers that I could send to, to the conference organizers. Um, running those through DxO Pure Raw, clean them up dramatically that that could happen while I was, you know, getting a snack or making myself coffee or something. And it made a huge difference in the quality of those images that I was able to deliver without having to go in and mess with all the, the denoising and the color denoising sliders and all of that. Jeff is back in the next edition of Mac Voices to talk more about computational photography, especially in some places you might not exactly expect to find it. That's next time on Mac Voices. I hope you'll join us. Until then, and as always, I'm Chuck Joyner. Thanks for watching. Visit macvoices.com for show notes and to connect with Chuck on social media. 
get involved in our Facebook group or like our Facebook page, and get more out of your Apple tech with Mac Voices Magazine, free on Flipboard and on the web. And if you find value in it all, consider supporting us through either our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash macvoices, or by making a one-time donation via the PayPal link on our front page and in the show notes of each episode. You will join these fine people who help bring you Mac Voices. Advertising handled by Backbeat Media at backbeatmedia.com. Bandwidth provided by Cashfly at cashfly.com.